Today's scripture test, uh, text is Galatians 4, so we're going to pick up where we've been uh, hearing uh, Brian preach for the last several weeks, so Galatians 4, we're going to read, sorry, uh, verse 4 through verse 6. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, you'll find that on page 974. Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word, and um, as much as we enjoy um, your body here at Gospel Life that you've uh, wisely crafted, uh, Lord, we um, are eager to uh, hear from Pastor Brian, and we uh, thank you for the gift uh, that he is to um, us here at Gospel Life. Uh, we thank you that uh, he's a man of your word, somebody who um, doesn't just seek out an interesting topic to talk about but talks about the most interesting thing that you've given man in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray you give him uh, boldness, give him clarity. Father, help our hearts to um, be fertile uh, for this word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Brady, for reading our text this morning. We are going to continue here in Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this text in light of the advent of Jesus Christ. And uh, here in just a few words, Paul just works through a number of, of, of main issues, main topics here in regards to the advent of Jesus Christ that is so helpful for us. And as, as we look at verse 4, we see he starts off by saying, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And, and a few weeks ago, we looked at that, those two phrases there and how God the Father's divine plan and divine initiative was the sending of His Son. And even as we looked at that, we unpacked the fact that Jesus Christ declares His deity and the fact that before He was even born, God sent Him. That He is the Son of God, always existent with the Father Secondly, we looked at the two following phrases, born of woman, born under the law. And there we saw God the Son's humanity and His humility in being born of a woman and also being born under the law. Being willing to place Himself on the level of creation. To breathe the same air we breathe with the same flesh that we have. And uh, He came born of a woman just like just like we were born, He was born. He was conceived um, by the power of God, virgin conception, and yet a, a normal human birth, and then born under the law as our representative, as the one able to perfectly keep all of God's laws, whether you're looking just at the Mosaic law or every one of God's laws, Jesus kept them perfectly. Before the Mosaic law, God commanded Adam in the garden to eat of every tree except one. 
And Adam fails. And Paul takes this up in Romans and saying where Adam as the first representative of humanity failed, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, succeeded. Jesus was born under the law so that He might then, as we see the next phrase, which we looked at last week, redeem those who are under the law. All of us live under the law of God and all of us are rightly condemned under the law of God because we have broken God's law. We looked at the fact that even if you take just a couple of the Ten Commandments, we can see how we are breakers of the law. And if we break one, James writes, we have broken them all. We stand before God condemned. And yet what we read is this initiative of God, this plan of God the Father was to send His Son to be like us in every way, yet without sin, so that He might redeem, buy back His people. This is God's Son mission. His mission was to redeem God's people. Today we're going to be looking at this next phrase, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That God the Father's response to the mission of Jesus Christ and the buying back of God's people is to embrace them in His family. To make them sons and heirs. And so this morning, my main point is this. The advent of Jesus declares the adoption of the people of God. The advent of Jesus declares the adoption of the people of God. I want us to see within the the story of Christmas and this time of celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ that we are also able to celebrate the fact that He has made those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have trusted in Christ, Part of his family. What glorious truths these are. Let's ask God's blessing here this morning. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word today with your people to look into it. We thank you that you have shown us this kind of grace or the gift of your son this season, the gift of your word so that we might know him in this season. Lord, I pray that we would not miss the blessings that we have been given. Lord, we do continue to pray for um, Ridgewood Baptist Church and uh, the difficulties that are going on there with the health of their pastor. I pray that you continue to give doctors wisdom as they seek to understand what is going on with Pastor Jaspers. Continue to give the church love and patience as they work through this. Bless Jonathan and uh, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Glenn as they seek to cover the pulpit in this time, Lord, continue to give strength and grace there. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Seth and Darla Curtis, in the Congo and some of the, the difficulties that are going on there politically as they seek to get ready for elections, and yet um, there's tensions that are rising there. And so I pray they continue to give them protection, Lord. Help them to know what to do if, if uh, things get difficult. Um, Lord, with their adopted daughter, they don't they don't have the paperwork to take her out of the country, so they, they struggle with if, if things get bad, how do, they, how do they react? Give them wisdom, give them grace. Lord, we pray for their church that has already met this morning, New Life Church. Pray that you continue to use your word in their lives throughout the rest of the day and through this week. Lord, may they have been fed well, and may they now seek to live out what they have learned. Lord, we ask your blessing on us today, where we are so thankful for all who have gathered to hear your word preached. Lord, may it be preached faithfully. 
Lord, uh, may I present it in a way that is clear and understandable, in a way that, that uh, is, is powerful. But ultimately, Lord, we trust in Your Spirit and His work in each of our hearts. We trust in Your Word and, it, and the power that it contains because it is Your Word. And we pray that You would use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. J.I. Packer writes in his book, Knowing God, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. The idea of adoption is important, is significant to the idea of Christianity in general. And it's important for us to be able to know it. It's important for us to be able to understand it. important to be able for us to then see how it is meant to affect our lives. In, in many Christian circles, um, and rightly so, the, the, they, they champion the idea of justification. But throughout Christian history, justification has always been tightly tied to this idea of adoption. Um, and the reason why is that our hope is not just that as we are justified or made right with God, as we come before the courtroom of God and God stands there as a judge, in justification we are declared to be right with God. Now we have a right standing with God. And if you've ever been in a courtroom and been under the scrutiny of a judge, it's good to be in a right standing with that judge. It's good to have him declare not guilty. And we know that we are declared not guilty not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And that all who believe in him, all who put their trust in him, God declares not guilty based upon his Son. So we're able to be right with the judge. But how many of you have ever been in that situation? I don't know. But consider, how, how, if you think about TV shows or whatever, where you know, the guy is in front of the judge, the judge declares him not guilty. How many of them continue to have a relationship with that judge? Not common, right? Not at all. Okay, we're good. We'll go about, go, we'll leave, we'll go about our business that judge is kind of, I'm glad he, he was able to declare me innocent, but now we're kind of going our own ways. That, that whole thing's over. I'm going my way. He's going his way. Hopefully we don't meet ever again. Um, but that's not what we should want in Christianity. God the judge should declare us right with him and then kind of say, well, you just go on and do your stuff and I'll go on and do mine. No. And, it, and that's not how it is. When we come to Scripture, we find that when those who are justified are adopted, which is, you know, kind of blows the whole courtroom in America out of the wire. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. You know, the judge doesn't say, all right, you're not guilty, and by the way, you're coming home with me tonight. <laughs> That's not how it happens, right? No, but there's a different relationship here. There's a different thing going on. This is the courtroom of God. This is not just a, a U.S. Supreme Court sitting on, on His bench that you're standing before. This is God, the Creator of the universe, the Creator of the world. And this God who declares us 
right also invites us to be in relationship with him, be in his family. As Jesus is about ready to leave his disciples, he tells them, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to get it ready, and I will return for you. Why? Because you are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are my family. That's what we gain through adoption, and that's why it's so significant for us to understand this doctrine. So what is adoption? Well, I I think most of us will begin by thinking about what is adoption for us here in just human relationships. That, that's this idea of legally taking another child and bringing it up as your own. You're, you're, you found this child that needs a family and you've brought them into your home and you've legally made them your child and now you're bringing them up in your home. And obviously there's some significance to that, some, some connectivity to that and what God is doing with us. We're these wayward children that God brings in and is now raising up as His own. But I think there's a better way for us to understand it, and that's to understand it in light of when the people who used the term were writing. They were writing in Roman times, and the understanding of adoption in Roman times, it's not that you never took in a child that was on the street and legally claimed him as your own. Um, but in Roman times, the most common way that adoption worked was that it was the legal declaration that a man was now your son and therefore your heir. It actually happened between two adults um, and not just children. That it was, it was when, so let's say I decided for some reason, I don't know, strange reason, that I wanted Trevor to be my heir. Trevor is an adult now, and hopefully he's demonstrating a trustworthiness and, and, and honesty and, and stuff, and I bring him into my home and maybe have him serve in my home for a while just to see what he's like, work in my business or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden, I adopt Trevor as my legal son, legal heir. In fact, one author writes and says this, Uh, He says, in Roman law, adoption was very difficult. It was a long, involved, and expensive legal procedure. And once enacted, adoption afforded several special rights and privileges. So one of the things that happened when I would take Trevor in is that all debts were canceled. All his debts were canceled. Second thing is all criminal charges were dropped against him. Because now he was coming into my... He was becoming part of my family three they could not be legally put to death by their new fathers that's good Four, they could not be disinherited by their new father either in legal terms they became a completely new person completely new person all debts gone all criminal record gone there and the, the new father can't put them to death, but they also he can't disinherit him either. He has become this person now, this son, this heir in this family. He's no longer who he once was. And Paul uses this often to allude to the believer's security in Christ. When a, pub, when a father publicly adopted a son, he officially and permanently became his heir. 
So we understand that theologically, when we come to adoption, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism states, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God, of the children of God. We have all the rights, all the privileges to being His Son. I think here we could see in, in understanding adoption a parallel to one of the stories in the Old Testament, the story of Moses, this abandoned Hebrew child born as a slave under the sentence of death and is taken into the palace by a royal princess and formally adopted as her son. And as her son, he loses all the identity he had before. He is no longer a slave. He is an heir in the family of the Pharaoh. And it is just so with believers in relationship to God. He is committed to us. He has given us a new name. He has made us His heir. He has solemnly pledged that our Heavenly Father will provide for us lavishingly. He has given us the benefits of being in His family. So today we're going to look at three points In light of this text, first of all, one, adoption by God is an act of God alone. Adoption by God is an act of God alone. We've obviously looked at verse 4 previously and saw that it was God who initiated this entire process and this entire plan. So we could just simply argue from that, that God's the one who had the the, the plan in the fullness of time. God's the one who sends His Son. God's the one who causes Him to be born in a certain way so that He might redeem His people and so that He might bring them into the family through adoption. But we can look throughout Scripture and see even, even more specifically how it is an act of God alone that brings about adoption. Adoption, first of all, comes by the will of God. We read this in Ephesians 1, verses 4-6. through 6. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And then Paul decides to give us the reason why God would do this. And in Roman law, you know, you would want someone who has showed themselves to be trustworthy, shows themselves to be honest, showed themselves to be of integrity. That's the kind of person you want as your son. That's the kind of person you want as your heir. And yet, when we come to Ephesians, here's what he says, according to the purpose of His will. According to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. It says here, the reason Jesus, or the reason God brings us into this adoptive relationship through Jesus is because He decided to do so. It was His will that did it. Not by our worth. No human is worthy of adoption. In fact, we look a little farther in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He, he describes here, here's how we all started. 
We were not ideal sons. We are not ideal heirs. We all started in transgressions, in sins against God. We all served the adversaries and enemies of God, whether it's the prince of the power of the air, whether it's the fact that we're called the sons of disobedience, whether we, it, it talks about us living out our own passions and our own desires according to our flesh, according to what our body and our minds wanted, so that we are described here as children of wrath. It includes all of us. All of us started that way. Why is it there to tell us we are not worthy of being adopted? We didn't earn this. We didn't show ourselves to to be full of integrity and full of honesty and full of truth. We didn't. We demonstrated that we were full of sin. We were full of rebellion. Or in Colossians 1, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's where we once were. We lived under the domain of darkness. This darkness is what Peter also describes. But you were a chosen race. You were a royal priesthood. You were a holy nation. You were a people of His own possession. That, he may pro- that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You who were not a people now are God's people who we were once we were not his people we were rebels against him we lived in the darkness while he lived in the light we were not worthy of this great gift and yet god gives it adoption comes by the will of god but adoption also comes by the power of god in fact when jesus was here on earth some of the jews came to him and were talking to him about whose father they had and they were claiming abraham as their father and he looks at them and says i tell you god is able from these stones these rocks that are lying here on the ground to raise up children of abraham we can claim things all we want god's the one that has the power to actually do any of this Or in Romans 4, Paul writes, God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Or again in Romans, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again, to bring them in to relationship with Him and into His family. It is God who has both the will and and the power to bring about adoption. Not us. We are not worthy of it, but we are not actually, actually powerful enough to do it either. No human being is able to make adoption into God's family happen. In fact, Paul writes, quoting the, the Old Testament, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He goes on to write in chapter 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
In John 1, we're reminded that it's not because of our own power, it's not because of our own will, it's not because of our own worth that we have brought into God's family and have been given the rights to become the children of God. He says, but to all who did receive Jesus who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All this to say, adoption by God is an act of God alone. None of us here can think Well, I'm a child of God because I am just good enough. I am just smart enough. I look good, so of course God loves me. It's not true. It's not based upon our worth. It's not based upon our power. It's not based upon our effort. What do we see, first of all, that is an act of God's will and God's power alone? Only God can bring it about. The second thing is this. Adoption by God comes from regeneration and faith adoption by god comes from regeneration and faith and we just actually saw that in in the last verse that i read for you from john 1 robert murray mache said this there are two steps regeneration and faith if indeed they can be separated because the first breath of the new soul is faith and yet we We have to speak of each one so that we understand what is going on. And so if you want to turn over to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we're just going to look at these two verses here just briefly. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here we can see these two steps by which God adopts anyone. Now that, that adoption there is, is right there at the end of verse 12. He gave the right to become children of God. To be a part of God's family. To be adopted into His house. And to understand the steps that God takes here, we must reverse the order of the text. Those who did receive, which is the first part, Verse 12, but all who did receive are the ones who, in verse 13, were born. The were born precedes the did receive. The first step is being born again or being regenerated. The next step is receiving Him. Or as, as, as John writes here, but all who received Him, who believed in His name. So he's describing what it looks like to receive Jesus Christ is to believe in His name. So that's that idea of receiving Him, believing in His name, that idea of placing our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ is what's happening here. So first off, they're regenerated. They're born again. Not of, not of their own will. Not of their own ability. Not of flesh and blood. You know, that's where Nicodemus kind of gets off. Jesus go, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, you must be born again. And he's like, how does a man crawl back into his mother's womb? No, you're missing the point here, Nicodemus. Right. It's not of blood. It's not of flesh. It's not of our own will. It's not of our own effort. It has to be something God does. God brings life to us. And when God brings life to us, the first breath of that life He gives to us is faith in Jesus Christ. 
And because they've been given new life and because they have this faith, then what do we read? God grants them to the right and privilege to be children of God. That's the question we have to ask today. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are there any of you that think you are children of God, though you have not believed in His name? John tells us here, if, if you're saying that, you're believing a lie. No one is a child of God without having received Jesus Christ and believed in His name. Only those who receive Him are given that right. The world, along with liberal Christianity, wants to call everyone children of God. They want a universal fatherhood of God, and mainly they base that upon the creation. God is uh, our Father in the sense that He created all of us, that, but that's not the fatherliness that the Bible is speaking about. It's something different. They want the brotherhood of man, and ultimately they embrace a universalism that expects every one of us to be in heaven one day. But that is problematic. You begin to, you begin to think a little bit deeper about universalism, and while it's well, it seems okay on the surface that every one of us would enter heaven one day. You begin to come to some difficulties when you start to say, well, what about someone like Adolf Hitler? What about someone like Stalin? What about, will they be in heaven too? There are many people who want to proclaim the, the universal sonship and brotherhood of all of us. Well, maybe not them. Well, if not them, why? Well, do they break God's law? Yeah, horribly. But how, how much of God's law can you break before you don't make it into heaven? Well, James tells us if you break it in one part, in one part, in God's eyes you have broken it all. You have rebelled against Him. Sonship of God, as J.I. Packer writes, is not, therefore, a universal status which everyone enters by natural birth, but a supernatural gift which one receives through receiving Jesus Christ. That's what we see in John 1. It is something that is given to us that we receive based upon our reception of Jesus Christ. The gift of sonship of God becomes ours not through being born, but through being born again. The new birth of regeneration is always accompanied by the receiving of Jesus Christ by faith. So I ask you again, are you a child of God? And when I'm asking that, I am asking, have you received Jesus? Do you believe in Him as your Savior? Do you believe in Him as your Redeemer from sin and from judgment? As the payment that God has graciously given to you? to save you from your sins. My third point is this. Adoption by God makes you a child of God. Adoption by God makes you a child, makes you a son and daughter of God. Now you think, well, that, that seems pretty basic. Right? But 
I think that at times we can miss this. You are literally one of his children. It goes back to the very first quote I said. If you misunderstand this, you're a misunderstanding Christianity. You are being made into his child. You are one of his own. And therefore, you have God as your father. He is your father. His loving fatherhood, his disciplining fatherhood is all yours. In in 1 John 3, we're reminded this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Or in Hebrews 12, we see the other side of love. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastens every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. You are His children. He is your Father. It's what He is. God is no longer just the authoritative judge that every human being born in this world will have to face and answer for what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. They will stand before Him and they will answer Him. But God is no longer just that for us. It is true, we will stand before Him. But we won't stand before Him just as an authoritative judge. We will stand before Him as our Father. Not only do you have God as your Father, as God makes you His child, you become like your Father. There's an interesting thing that happens when children are adopted into um, our families. They tend to, they don't always begin to look like us. Sometimes that's not possible. But they do begin to embrace the customs and the ways that that family functions. They begin to say phrases and words that really belong to that family. And they say them in that way. They, they begin to understand the inside jokes of that family that no one else understands. Why? Because they are part of that family. They've been brought into that family. They may not look like anything like that family, but they act like that family. And this is similar to our spiritual adoption. Children of God, brought into God's family, begin to act like their father. They begin to act like them. And in fact, that's what, that's what the New Testament expects. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be Im- imitators of, of God as beloved children. Or in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Father loves, loves both his children, and his enemies, and still continues to show care for every human being on this earth. But not only that, we can go further than that to look at the gospel itself. What does the gospel say? While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, God sent his Son. That's that's what it looks like to imitate God, is to love both our neighbors and our enemies. 
both the people we really enjoy and get along with and the people we don't always get along with. That's, that's, a, that's a tough, tough call there, right? Uh, calling on us that we would live in that way, and yet that is what, what happens when we become part of His family. We begin, begin to imitate God our Father. 1 Peter 1, But as He has called you, as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As the Father is holy, so we're meant to live holy. Why do we, why do we strive to live a holy life as Christians? Why do we strive to live under God's laws and ways that will honor and glorify Him? Because our Father is holy. Because our Father is perfect in all these things. And so we seek to strive to be like Him. Unlike human adoption, where they're just taking on cultural aspects and customs, what we have in spiritual adoption is an amazing heart change. New life has come. We've been born again. We've been regenerated by God's loving work. And now we are living out that regeneration. You know, it's, it's, it's not just that, oh man, now I've got to be a child of God now. I've got to try to do my best. Glad I wore a suit jacket today. No, we've actually, something new has happened within us. When the gospel comes and makes us a child of God and we we receive Jesus Christ, there's new life that is flowing through us. And that new life produces holiness and the desire to be holy and the desire to be like our Father and the desire to glorify our Father and please our Father and want Him uh, to receive all the honor and praise from our life. Not only do we have God as our Father, not only we become like our Father, but we read as well, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Galatians 3, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The promise of God to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is a promise that we can claim as His children. He is our God. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. In Galatians 4, He says, You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're an heir through what God has done. Titus 3, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That one of the things that we inherit is an eternity with God. In fact, it describes all throughout Scripture as not only us participating as a brother with Jesus Christ, but ruling and reigning with Him. Romans 8, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The eternal Son of of God is now our fellow heir because we, through Him, have been made children of God. It's, it's amazing. As you, come, as you come to the Christmas season, a couple days, two days, you're going to stand together, hopefully consider the, the Christmas story and the, the manger, and as you look at that infant in the manger, here is the eternal Son of God sent by God's initiative alone to redeem His people, 
and to make them his children, fellow heirs with him. He, he humbles himself to be a baby so that he might then share his inheritance with us. I mean, that's not how we would do it. Like, you look back through history, most of the time, brothers and sisters are knocking each other off, taking each other out, eliminating each other so that they could be the only heir. And here we have the eternal Son of God. Not just sharing, but having to humble Himself to the point of death to share with us. This glorious, this, this glorious inheritance, but then also to share with us His Father. He offers us today to all who would receive Jesus Christ, His Father, to be our Father. So application, what can we know? Adoption is a glorious and merciful gift from God that we are not worthy of, nor can we earn it. We're not powerful enough to take it on our own. Adoption means that we are really and fully a part of God's family, though. With all its benefits, with all its requirements, the advent of Jesus declares the commitment of God the Father to the adoption of His people. He is committed to it. So much so that He sent His Son. So that's a no. That's what we should know. But how should we walk in light of this? Well, if you have not yet received Jesus as the only one who can bring you to the Father, receive Him today. Today, you can be welcomed into God's family. If you are one of God's children, I want to encourage you with two things. First of all, rejoice in your blessed state. Being one of God's children is the dividing line between the blessed and the damned. You have a loving Father who cares for you in everything, who will never leave you, and who's committed to doing what is best for you. So rejoice in it. Second thing, live out your blessed state. Obedience to your heavenly Father is gloriously good. It confirms to you your love for God. It confirms to you His adoption of you. It delights your heavenly Father when you obey. It shows gratitude for the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is the opportunity for you to imitate your Father, in this world. So I would encourage you both to rejoice and to live out what's been given to you by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For this gift of adoption. Through the sending of your Son, through the redeeming, of your Son through His death, through His resurrection, we might receive the adoption as sons. Lord, to all who have trusted in Jesus Christ, that's what we truly are, your children. And Lord, we thank You for that precious gift. We pray that as we continue to celebrate throughout the next coming days the, the advent of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would delight rejoicing in the fact that He has shared 
his sonship with us, his inheritance with us. And we are your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.